Join me this morning in the book of Romans in chapter number 10, please. Romans chapter 10. So we have spent uh, several months, as most everyone here knows, studying verse by verse through the book of Romans, and we've come to chapter 10. The theme of the book really is the gospel of Jesus, which we know is the good news, the good news. And so we look at the world around us and we know something is not quite right. It's the book of Romans and the message of the gospel that explains to us how we got here, what's going on, where it's going, and who the solution is, who the remedy is, and that's Jesus. So we looked at several chapters that talk to us about the fact that we're justified by faith. And that's good news, wouldn't you agree? And then we looked at several chapters that said we are sanctified by faith. And then we saw that we are glorified by faith. And then we got to chapter uh, 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11, and we're looking at the situation with the nation of Israel because Paul, of course, is an Israelite. He's a, he's a, a Hebrew of the Hebrews as he describes himself. And he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And as you see in our, in our theme verses for the series, in fact, let's go ahead and look at that. We haven't been doing it every week, but I'd like to go back to it. So verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, why don't we say those together? They're on the screen and on your handout. Our theme verses begin. Ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Pause. Pause. Hang on. So we've talked a lot about that. But we kind of have read over this little part of the verse very often. But notice this next statement. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And now what's it say? Go ahead. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, together. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The point there of having you pause is to realize, obviously, in this glorious gospel, this message of Jesus, the message was to first go to what group of people? The Jewish people. Now, as we've studied, and it's a wonderful message, it's the message of salvation. But what happened when it was taken to the Jewish people as a nation? Did they accept or reject that message? They rejected, sadly. And so we come to... And now we're thankful that it didn't stop with the, with the preaching to the Jews. That it first went to the Jews, but then it was also going to the Gentiles. Now, I'm just going to assume that that's probably most, if not all of us in here, we don't have Jewish blood. Maybe you do. But if not, the rest of the group is us. And aren't you thankful that the message of the gospel was not just for the Jews, but it was for the Gentiles? But in God's order, it had to go to the Jews first. And Paul now is particularly broken up inside that his people, his flesh, and his blood, his nation, have not received their Messiah. Boy, does it ache your heart when your people don't receive your Savior? It's not quite the same as, as what Paul dealt with. It's a little bit different, but I think the application is the same. Look what he says. Now we'll get to our text this morning. Verse number one of Romans 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might, say it with me, be saved. If you remember in chapter number nine, we saw last week, I'll just remind you what he said. He said, I could wish that, he said, I wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. His heart, it hurt the heart of Paul that his people did not know Christ. Does it hurt your heart when your family, your people don't know your Savior? To hurt your heart when your community, your region, your part of the country is in a, is in a state of darkness and spiritual, and spiritual darkness. And sometimes I think we can just kind of get used to it that 
well, we're just, look around the room, Ethan, there's not a whole lot of us here. The, the rest of the, the, the rest of our, our uh, and I know we're not the only church, but, but by and large in our churches, in our community, we look around and we say, there's, there's not a mighty army of us numerically here and we see the, the, the state of the world around us and there aren't a lot of believers and sometimes we can almost get a hardness to us. Do you know what I'm talking about? We can almost get a hardness that says, well, we're the faithful ones. We're the remnant in these last days. We're the prophets. But I don't think, I don't think Paul developed a hardness. He had a soft and broken heart. And he looked at Israel, and, there were, and, and these were people, the leaders of the Jews, what, what were they trying to do to the Apostle Paul at this point in time? They're trying to kill him, just like they killed Jesus, just like they killed James, just like they killed Stephen. They've already martyred many of the apostles and the teachers in the church and, the, and even just the, the men and women and, and imprisoned in the church. They're trying to stop it all. But in the middle of it, Paul doesn't get a hardness. He doesn't get a bitterness that says, well, I'll just hang on until Jesus comes. He never gives up because God has never given up on anyone. And he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. They might be saved. He desires their salvation. And I'd like to speak to you this morning for a few minutes about our one and only hope. Our one and only hope. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much that you've given us the word of God. Lord, please help us today to really let your word speak to us. Help it to show us just what our purpose is and why we are here and, and that we are yours. And help us see the glory of the gospel and the need of Christ both here and around the world. We thank you, Lord, that you are our hope. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The one and only hope. You see on the introduction in your notes this morning, the background, I already mentioned, Jewish rejection of Christ as Messiah. In these verses, Romans 10, 1 through 13, that's what we're going to look at this morning. As we walk through this, one of the things that the apostle does is the Holy Spirit guides him to reference Deuteronomy chapter 30. So as we study this, it would be helpful to have a good understanding of Deuteronomy chapter 30. So who can quote me the most famous verse of Deuteronomy chapter 30? That's about what I thought. <laughs> let's go back and let's look at it. Let's take, a, let's take a few minutes. Now, if you were a first century synagogue, you'd be like, oh, well, how about this passage? Or how about that? I mean, because they knew the scriptures. And maybe somewhere in here, someone in here does. But I'm going to go back and we'll take just a minute to read through this. And it'll take a little bit of time, but it, it'll be worth it. So as we read Deuteronomy chapter 30, I want you just to listen to it, think about it. I'm not going to make a lot of comments. I just want us to be familiar with the passage because then Romans chapter 10 is going to help us a lot more. So Deuteronomy chapter number 30. This is after the giving of the law. Moses has given the law to the people. And there's a famous line, maybe you know this one, he takes that law, those big old tablets of stone, and there's more than 10 commandments. There's about 600 of them. He takes those big old tablets of stone and boom, he drops them in front of the people. You know, I imagine it in epic fashion. You know, the, the, whole, the whole nation of 600,000 men plus all the women and children, probably a couple of million people, he just he drops the law down there. He says to the people, I set before you this day, now maybe you know what he says, I set before you this day a, some of you know it, so, so okay, so now you've tested it, you got it, I set before you a blessing and a curse. And that's how he introduces the law. A blessing if you obey, a curse you disobey. That's a covenant that God made with his people. Like, what does this have to do with Romans chapter 10? Well, you just have to be patient. Look at Deuteronomy 30. And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the, say it with me, the, 
and the, which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among the nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee. You're going to go into all these nations. You're going to remember the blessing and the curse. And verse 2, And shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day. Thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul. This isn't just law covenant, it's a heart and soul covenant. That then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence he will fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it. And he will do thee what? Good. And multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, and the heart of thy seed. To do what? Read it with me. To love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul, that thou mayest live. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and on them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand, in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy land, for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee. Do you see it again? For what? For good. As he rejoiced over thy fathers. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, and if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. You see, it's both law and love. Have you picked that up? Now, verse 11 through 14 are going to be very important. So think about this now. For this commandment, which I command thee this day, is not what? Not hidden from thee. It's not far away. It's not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it on the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go over to the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? Verse 14, read it with me out loud. But the word is very nigh. Say it again. It's what? It's close. It's right there. It's very nigh unto thee. Where is it? It's in thy mouth and in thy heart. It's in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statues and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. You can read the rest of the chapter when you get home, but this would have been a, a passage that was, well, as it says, in their heart and in their mouth. Paul is writing in, to the Jewish believers in Romans chapter 10, and, the, and speaking about rather the Jewish unbelievers, they know this scripture. They know this, but the sadness is they understood the law, but they forgot that they were supposed to love the Lord their God. And so, because of that, they miss their Savior, Jesus. And so, their hope is in the law. Their hope is in their ability to keep the law. They got that part of the covenant. They understood, well, we've got to obey the law. But they forgot that they were supposed to love their, the Lord. In fact, Jesus would say, well, did Isaiah prophesy of this generation? This people draws nigh to me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. And that was the, the, the case. And so the theme now is the, to, for the Jews, for the Gentiles, for everyone, is that to reject Jesus is to reject salvation. 
Now, I understand that that is a, for those of you that you know the Bible, you study the scriptures, you're like, okay, we understand that. But if there is a message that this generation of professing Christians needs to lay hold of and not let go of, it is this, that there is no hope without Jesus Christ. And to the Jewish folks there that were trusting in their law keeping, Paul's saying, no, it must be through Jesus. And so first of all, I want to show you just two points this morning, two main sections here. Verse 1 through 4, Paul presents Jesus as the one and only way. Look with me back in Romans 10. We saw verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Salvation. Salvation is our greatest need. Are you glad that you're saved? But I think sometimes that what we believe theologically, we don't act as if we believe that salvation is the greatest need. I think somehow we look around at our community, we look around at our neighbors or our friends, we look around at the, just the world around us, and it's almost as if we wouldn't say it in church, we wouldn't say it as if we... Uh, you, you know, we would never sign our name to the statement, but in practice, it's almost as if we say, well, you know what? I have Jesus, but somehow it's going to work out for everybody else. But that is not the case. Paul makes it crystal clear that apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. And his heart is broken for his people. And salvation, he knew that their salvation was their greatest need. The greatest need in the world today is salvation. And Christian, listen, when you found Jesus, when you received the gospel of Jesus, you did not find a better way to live your life. We did not find just, or we did not just choose one of several options of expressing our spirituality. You see, Jesus is the only hope. There is no plan B. There's not a plan for bad people and nice people. There's not a plan for church-going people and non-church-going people. There's not a plan for there's not a plan for criminals and a plan for community volunteers. There's no there's no plan for well, I found Jesus through the word of God. I found God through Jesus or I found plan B. There is no plan B for our families. There is no plan B for our community. There is no plan B for the world. Jesus is the only hope. He's all there is. And now, to back that up, look what happens in verse number 2. He says this, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. This is probably one of the hardest truths to reckon with. That these people had sincerity. But in the scripture, according to Jesus, truth is greater than sincerity. Truth is greater than sincerity. Now that statement goes completely counter to the culture of our day. The culture of our day is pressing on us and pushing us to say that, well, so long as a person is sincere, everything will work out. Probably the great prophet of this type of spirituality, or I should say the great prophetess of this type of spirituality who has taken this kind of thinking and really mainstreamed it, is probably uh, Oprah Winfrey. And I don't say that with any humor, because she has literally been the one for the last uh, 30 years, through interviews and through uh, expressing, uh, uh, interviewing spiritual leaders and whatnot, has really popularized the, this philosophy, your truth and my truth. You will ha we have friends, we have family members, and, and that will say to us, well, I'm glad you have found something 
that works for you. How many of you have had somebody say, or you've heard a statement like that? That is the popular religion of today. But Jesus teaches that truth is greater than sincerity. Paul speaks about the Jews and he says that they have such a zeal. How could people who could, I mean, if you were to compare, it, you're a tw you and I are 21st century Christians, if we would compare our moral lives to that of the first century Pharisees, how would we look? Bad. We're a whole lot more worldly than we were, even the best than they were, even the best of us. If we were to compare, let's let's not do that. If you were to compare the average 21st century evangelical to the average 21st century faithful practicing Muslim, whose life looks more devout? Hint, hint, it's not us. And so people struggle with this fact that how can people who are nice, people who are devout, how can this be so exclusive? In fact, it's, a, it's almost an affront that people would say, but how can there be really only one way to God? Listen, the fact that is, the most astounding fact is not that there is only one way to God. The most astounding fact is that there is any way to God. We are the ones that have transgressed, the nicest of us, the most devout of us, the best of us by human standards. We are the ones, as that song, we sing that song, all I have is Christ. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost. We, it, the song talks about how we loved our sin more than the Savior. But the Bible says truth is greater than sincerity. You see in the scripture here, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You can be sincerely wrong. We know that. But in our interactions, in our witness or our lack of witness, do we act like we believe that? Or are we content? Are we content to look at the world around us and say, well, these coworkers are really nice, but do they have Jesus? And my neighbor is a really nice person. I probably, but do they have Jesus? Jesus is our only hope. And above all, we ought to be messengers of that hope. And I pray that as we, we're going into our missions emphasis, but you know, missions has to start right here. Missions is not a, well, I wrote my check and I gave to miss mission, so I'm doing my part. Jesus says that we are his witnesses. But I think that we've allowed while we don't say we believe it, in practice, we act as if our friends and family, they don't need the message of Jesus. Truth is greater than sincerity. In Acts 4, in verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we what? Must be saved. Not can be or could be, but we must be saved. And they'd say, well, well, that's your interpretation. But what did Jesus say? Jesus himself said, I, in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says it in the positive, but just so he's not misunderstood, he also says it in the negative. In the positive, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in the negative, he says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, but by me, Jesus. Those are the words of Christ. The truth is greater than sincerity. Humility is greater than accomplishment. You see, why? What is at the heart? What is at the heart of, you say, well, I don't understand then. So these sincere people, what is it that they've done wrong? 
What is it that holds them in the, under judgment? What is it? What's the difference? In fact, what's the difference between someone who is in Christ and someone who is outside of Christ? Is it our moral behaviors? Well, it should be, but it isn't always. But the defining issue isn't my performance, it's the work of Christ. In fact, what is it? Here's, here's how Paul explains it. Look with me at verse number three. For they, being ignorant of whose righteousness? Now, you need, to, you need to make a note here. God's righteousness. They're ignorant of God's righteousness, and they're going about to establish, what's it say? Their own righteousness. Here is the point. The, at, the core, at the core of humanity's rejection of Jesus and other religions, albeit as sincere as they may be, at the heart of it, it is this. Jesus presents the righteousness that can only come from who? God. Mankind, through religion and human effort, says, well, how about this? I will replace the righteousness of God with whose righteousness? My own righteousness. And what that is, there's a proverb that says this, that even the plowing of the wicked is sin. you got to kind of think about that a little bit. What does that mean? Even the plowing of the wicked is sin. The point is this, a heart that is turned away from truth in God, what we do through self-pride, through self-accomplishment, through our own abilities, is basically saying to God, what you have provided, I do not accept. Allow me to provide my own means of salvation. In fact, all of good deeds that are done apart from Christ are in and of themselves. Now, not in, not in the horizontal level. I'd rather have, have nice neighbors than, than grumpy neighbors, wouldn't you? But on the horizontal level, it's, it's a different economy. On the vertical level, what happens is if I offer my niceness and my religion, and my human effort, if I offer that up to God in place of Christ's sacrifice, I'm saying to God, I am good enough. I do not need your forgiveness. Now, that's a, that's, that takes a little bit of thought to, un, to, to, to meditate, that on a little, meditate on that a little bit. But humility is greater than accomplishment. He says they are ignorant of God's righteousness, a perfect standard. Not only perfect in action, but perfect in motivation. There's a, there's a story, if you went to Sunday school... One of the very first stories that you ever learned illustrates this very thing. Adam and Eve had two sons. Their names were Cain and Abel. God said, bring a sacrifice of the, of the lamb. Abel brought what? The lamb. Cain brought what? The fruit of his labor. And God rejected Cain's human effort and accepted Abel's sacrifice according to God's word. See, this is a principle that is traced all throughout the scriptures. It is not by our effort, it is through Christ. And so what happens is, at the root of every sincere religious endeavor, at the root of every sincere effort without Christ, the root is the sin of pride. It is the sin of Lucifer, it is the sin of Adam and Eve that said, once we eat of the fruit, we will be like God. And it says here that they went about to establish their own righteousness, and they have not submitted. See that statement? What is God looking for? Is God looking for perfect obedience? Kind of a trick question, yes, but he found it in Christ. Is God looking for perfect obedience? Yes, but which of us can offer that to him. None. So from us, he is looking for us to submit. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Humility is greater than accomplishment. For the, for the, for the Jewish people, it was all about their keeping of the law. But for 21st century people today, it's all about our, our sincerity, our efforts, our accomplishment. And he finishes this section with this strong statement that Christ, and he applies this directly to the, to the 
to the Jewish crowd, and he says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes it. That it's Jesus. He is all we need. He is all we have. Christ is the end of the law. He has fulfilled the law. He has accomplished our righteousness. And all that is left is for us to receive it by faith alone. You say, boy, we spent 10 chapters in Romans and Paul just can't get away from this by faith alone thing. Like it's kind of like we're preaching the same thing over and over and over again. Do you think it might be important? Do you think it might be important even for we who are believers to not lose sight of the glorious gospel that me being in Christ has nothing to do with my comparison to you or them or anyone. My being in Christ is all about what he has accomplished for me. He is the one and only way. There's one and only one way. And there is one, secondly now, there's one and only one Savior. He comes in now, verse number five. And now we're going to see this link that I mentioned to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse number five. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the what? If it's all about legal righteousness and the righteousness by the law, Moses wrote about that. And he said that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But now he says there's another righteousness. It's the righteousness which is of what? Faith. And it speaketh on this wise. This is what it says. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven. Is that familiar to you? Where do we see this? Deuteronomy 30. What is Paul doing? He's quoting Moses. He's quoting the passage that they would have known. But he's making a different application. Saying when you read it in Deuteronomy chapter 30, it was about the covenant that, that God made with Moses and the people. It was the Old Testament covenant. And do you remember what it said? It said, hey, you don't, we don't need somebody to go up into heaven to, to find this for us. We don't need somebody to go into the sea to find this for us. It's there. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Keep the law. It says that's what you're focused on. But there's a new covenant. There's a new covenant that can't come through the law because Christ fulfilled the law. The new covenant is greater. The new reality is in Christ. But the confession is the same. The confession is the same, except it's not in tablets of stone. It's in the body and blood and resurrection of Jesus. And he says this. He quotes it and he says, reminding them of that old covenant that we read in Deuteronomy, but now there's a new covenant confession. And that new covenant says, in verse number, verse number, we'll read it anyway, 6, the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. You see, it wasn't tablets of stone that came down, it was Christ that came down. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. He's saying, you have been so focused on your law, you missed. They're like, but the law is so important. Yes, the law was important. But if God himself comes down, wouldn't you say that's a little more important? That's the glory of the new covenant. That it wasn't a law that came down from heaven. It was God himself that came down from heaven. Do you understand that there's only two religions in the world? There's only two religions in the world. One religion says this, that if you, and I've seen this illustrated so many times, I just love this illustration. Every religion in the world says this, here's a law. If you keep this law, it could be, it, it could be a Muslim law, it could be a Hindu law, it could be a Buddhist law, it could be a Jewish law, it could be some form of Christian law. It could be the, the secular code of our day. Keep this, these rules, do this, and you will step up. So whatever spiritual level you want to call it, you'll step up to God. But the message of Christ is that uh, the Bible is not that God sent down a law for you to step up to him, but that God himself stepped down to us to bring us back. Jesus came on a rescue mission. And you and I, we are believers. We are part of that rescue mission. We are to go into the world, but not be of the world. We are to take not the law of Christ, but the love of Christ. 
We are to take not the, uh, not the, the efforts of human religion, but the forgiveness that comes by faith. We are to bring Jesus to the world and to our friends and our neighbors. And then we say, come, come to where God is. That's the message of the gospel, that Christ has come down, that trumps the law. And now verse 8, but what saith it? He quotes Moses again. The word is what? Nigh thee. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart. But it's not the word of law. It's the word of faith, which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, that thou shalt be saved. It's near, he, I just think this is a beautiful passage. He takes what they knew about the law in the Old Covenant, and he says, but now, now it's Jesus. It's near you, it's in your mouth, and it's in your heart. In your, with your mouth, verse number 10, with the mouth, or maybe it was verse 11, I lost my place. Yeah, verse 10. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. There's, there's, there's two parts to this new covenant confession. There's two parts to our salvation. There's two parts to faith in Christ. He says this, that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, what does that mean? What is the statement that we say with our mouth? With our mouths, every born-again child of God makes a confession with our mouth that says what? Jesus is, what is he? He's Lord. Jesus is Lord. In fact, you'll see that translated that way. That if you'll confess with thy mouth, the thrust of it here is this. What is the confession? What is it that we say? We say that Jesus is Lord. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Can you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord? You say, well, what does that mean? Well, there are some inadequate confessions. There's some inadequate confessions, such as Jesus was a good man. Is that the word of faith which we preach? No. Jesus was a teacher. Jesus taught a path to God. Are any of these adequate confessions of the Lordship of Jesus? Not at all. Because tied up in the confession of the Lord Jesus is a clear understanding of who he is. That he is Lord. He is above all. Jesus describes his Lordship this way. I'll have you look with me at John chapter 5. John 5 and 22. Listen to how Jesus describes his Lordship. He says this. For the Father judgeth no man but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Look at verse 23, are you ready? That all men should honor the Son, how? Even as they honor the Father. Jesus would say to one of the disciples, I believe it was Thomas, might have been Philip, he said, do you not understand? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. To say that Jesus, can a person be a, can a person be a saved child of God and deny that Jesus is God and very God? Not at all. Because at the heart of the new covenant is the confession that Jesus is Lord. It's not enough to say, well, I believe that Jesus was a savior. That's not enough. It must be to confess that he is exactly who he said he was, the son of God. He was man and very man. He is God and very God. And Jesus said that all men should honor the son even as they honor the father. He that honoreth the son honoreth not the father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, 
and they that hear shall live. That is the Lord Jesus. And when we come to faith in Christ, we recognize him for who he is, the Lord. But the first part of the confession is Jesus is Lord. The second part of the confession is Jesus is risen, that he is risen. Notice what it says. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, but believe in your heart and believe in your heart that God has what? Raised him from the dead. In this, we believe in his saving work, that his death and his resurrection have accomplished the perfect righteousness that the law required. That in Jesus dying, he paid for our sins. But my friends, anyone can die. But it takes the God-man to rise from the dead. Jesus is risen. And his work has accomplished my salvation. You ask the question, if Jesus is the only hope, if there is no other hope, what is it? What is Paul driving? He says, oh, I pray that I wish that my brethren, I wish that my kinsmen would be saved. What does he mean? He says, I wish that they would confess that Jesus is Lord. I wish they would believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. For if they would do that, they would be saved. There would be salvation. Because Paul understood. This is the, this is the motivation of Paul's life. He dedicated his life to the advancement of the gospel. One of the, I, this quote, I just remembered this right now, so I, I, I can't attribute it properly. But one of the great missionaries of the past, I believe it was a missionary, he said this quote, there would be no greater tragedy in life than finding success in things that have no eternal value. There would be no greater tragedy than to find success in things that have no eternal value. Oh, boy, that's, that's convicting, isn't it? How many of you put in your very best at work? Just me? Make sure you're listening there. You put in your very best at work. Does that honor God? Can there, is there some eternal value there? Absolutely. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not diminishing the value of, we're supposed to walk worthy of the vocation that we're called to. But what a tragedy to be at the head of the line of our careers and to have not impacted souls for eternity. What a tragedy to have accumulated all of our favorite possessions. To get that remodel exactly how you've always dreamed it would be. To finally purchase the car that you always hoped you would have. As, as the term we use, to have finally arrived. To have a fully funded retirement. And to be very successful but to have no success in things that matter for eternity. As we think about the gospel and the, and the, the fact that there is one and only hope, there is only one and, on, and one and only hope. I, I, I can't, obviously can't say that, so I'm not going to try again. But as we think about that, remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures where? Don't lay your treasures up here. Why? What happens to them? The moths, the rust. How many of you, rust is the most frustrating thing? You know what I'm saying? Isn't it frustrating? It, it, the, some of you don't care. You're like, whatever. Oh, it drives me nuts. Just when you think everything is right. And then I, I walk to, um, I'm, I'm getting out of the, uh, the big Y, I think it was. And I walk to my van. I'm walking to my van. I'm getting ready to open the trunk to put some groceries in. And I spotted, for the first time, something I had not spotted before, and that was rust. 
And how does that, my dad, you, he had this old van, and he worked to hide and mask and cover up that rust until the very last day. He wasn't even going to drive around in a rust bucket. I mean, he covered up. So I walked, how many of you saw that van? You remember that? He had all that stuff painted on it. Anyway, I mean, I got to my van, and I'm like, where did this come from? Aha, and then I realized this isn't my van. My van's over there. <laughs> so, but you know what? I'm, that feeling was, was there. Rust is, is just a physical reminder that this life is temporary. Jesus says, don't lay up your treasures on earth where moths and rust corrupt. Not only that, if the, if the moth, Jesus says, if the moths and the rust don't get your stuff, then who can get it? The thieves. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves they can't break through and steal. For where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Oh, if I had treasure, Pastor, if I won the lottery, you should see the check I would write to the Lord's work. If I had treasure, boy, my heart. No, Jesus says, show me your, show, show me your treasure first. And then it explains the condition of our hearts. Paul was a man dedicated to the gospel because he knew it was the one and only hope. That the one hope for mankind is to confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus and to believe in the heart that God has raised him from the dead. For those of us who have found Christ, oh, let's live for the glory of the gospel. But I want to finish with the promise. The promise is that he will save. When it says, if you'll believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, it says, thou shalt be saved. It says, you will be saved. It doesn't say you could be saved. It doesn't say you might be saved. It doesn't say you'll have the opportunity to be saved. It says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Thou shalt be saved. It's a certainty. It's been accomplished. Of all of the things Jesus could have promised us, what greater promise could he have given? That if we will simply receive him by faith, we can claim it. We can claim salvation. I've had the opportunity in my life to, at different times to lead people in a prayer of confession. To lead them in a prayer where they confess their, their faith in Christ. And I've said, and I've quoted now this verse, verse number 13. Let's skip ahead to verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And after someone has prayed to receive Christ, I've asked them, did you call upon the name of the Lord and did you mean it with sincerity? And they said, yes, I did. Then on the authority of the word of God, if you die today, where would you spend all of eternity? It's heaven in the presence of the Lord because of the promise of God. Jesus says, you don't have to do, you just have to ask. You don't have to prove, you just have to receive. Maybe there's somebody in the room today. Maybe there's somebody watching the message this morning. And you have never confessed Jesus as Lord. You've never called upon him as your Savior. There's no hope without Jesus. But today, if you'll call on him, you will be saved. Would you do that? We're going to have a quiet moment now, a time to reflect and respond to the word of God. Would you just quietly bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Heads bowed, eyes closed. No one looking around, please. Once again, this is a time where we think about the word of God. And in our hearts or with our mouths, we respond to the word of God. Is there anyone here that would say, or anyone watching that would say, Ethan, I am not sure that I have ever received Christ as my Savior. I would like this morning to lead you in a prayer of confession. If you'd like to receive Christ, there's no magic way to do it. We just read, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Would you right now pray to Jesus 
and say something like this, say, oh God, I am a sinner. I am lost without you. But Jesus, I do believe you are God who came to save me. And I do believe that you rose from the dead. And right now I call on you. Jesus, please save me. Just in this quiet moment, would you call out to Christ? Whether you're in this room or you're watching, young or old, call on Christ as your Savior. And then Christians, let's answer that question. Are we succeeding in things that don't matter for eternity? Paul said, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they would be saved. In just a, a few seconds, the instruments are going to play and we're going to just pray. And maybe you want to pray this morning, God, give, maybe there's a person and you can think of their name. You say, God, my heart's desire and prayer is for, say their name to God. Pray for their salvation this morning. Maybe you want to pray for missions. Pray, God, give. Maybe you say, my heart is cold. Like you said at the beginning, I'm indifferent. You say, God, give me a burden like Paul had to see people know you. Let's all just spend a moment in prayer. Please seek the Lord. You can pray where you are or the altar's open if you'd like to pray at the altar this morning. Let's let God speak to us. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the promise of salvation that you give us. We thank you for Jesus and sending him to die in our place, to pay the debt we can never, we can never pay. We thank you, Lord, that you are all we have, Lord, but you're everything that we have. God, I pray someone here doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in you. And for those of us who do, God, burden us to share your word with those around us, to spread the gospel, to witness. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.